Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dugout Download, an all-Astros podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, the Houston Chronicle, with Astros beat writer Matt Kawahara, who saw a pretty exciting weekend of baseball in Phoenix as the Astros, we we talked about this going into the series. We didn't know if they were going to be a wild card, win the West, not make the playoffs, and lo and behold, Matt, they won their sixth West title in, six se- in seven seasons. Yeah, and they had to make quite the last push to do it and they needed some help obviously they they, i mean it went down to the last day going into the the regular season uh regular season finale where they needed seattle to beat texas and then they needed to beat the diamondbacks uh after having clinched a a postseason spot the night before um but you know they treated it as that saturday night after they clinched the postseason spot they hardly really acknowledged it at all i think they had a, a, a really quick sort of champagne toast um, afterward. Uh, Martin Maldonado got up and just said a few words in front of the in front of the group just about how that was an accomplishment uh, given you know some some of the adversity that they've um, gone through this season, but that their ultimate goal was still to win the division and it was still there for them going into Sunday. Uh, obviously they did need uh, Seattle to win that game against the Rangers and then they needed to take care of business against the Diamondbacks, but both happened and now the Astros have this second seed in the AL playoff field. They have a first round bye, which is huge. And I'm sure we'll get to the ramifications of that soon. But um, I mean, all in all, just given the fact that they went into that weekend, not even knowing if they, you know, not even having a playoff spot secured and went into this last six game road trip, having really struggled in September. Um, this was uh, quite the the finishing push from them. This is kind of interesting because you'll, you'll hear teams talk about, well, we don't watch the scoreboard. We don't watch the scoreboard. But um, as you reported, there was a lot of scoreboard watching going on in Phoenix. Oh, they definitely were. Yeah, they were all over the scoreboard. I mean, the uh, the Diamondbacks, and to their credit, they, they made it easy because um, up on the Chase Field, you know, out of town, they had, a, I guess it was up in right field where digitally they could, uh, I think they could fit three scores up there. So they had the Marlins, uh, which was a team that the Diamondbacks were jockeying with for their wild card position. And then they had the uh, the Blue Jays Rays game and the Mariners uh, Rangers scores all up there throughout the game Sunday. So that made it really easy for anybody who was wondering just to look up there and see what was going on. And uh, you know, the Astros jumped out to a, a four nothing lead in the top of the first. Um, the Rays took a huge lead on the Blue Jays by the second. They were up 8-0 in the second. Uh, so, you know, the, you kind of had a sense of where those two games were heading. And then it was the Rangers and Mariners game that was the real tight one um, that ended up being a 1-0 game. But you know, the Astros, they saw, I mean, in I think it was in the middle of the seventh inning where that, uh, that game went, in the middle of the seventh or the eighth inning where that game went final in seattle um so that the astros knew at that point that if they won they would win the west and they had an eight run lead i mean that game was all but salted away they just seemed to get the final nine outs um so i i think there was you know they didn't go crazy in the dugout or anything like that but there was some high-fiving they they had a sense at that point of, of where they were going and then after having delayed that you know actual celebration on saturday night they, they were able to let loose a little bit uh in the clubhouse after sunday's game and what a big lift after two real nail biters on Friday and Saturday. Now, Alex Bregman, and um, again, uh, reading your reporting, you noted that Bregman hits the two-run homer to give him that early cushion. They wound up scoring uh, four in the first, but um, that equaled his RBI production from pretty much the two weeks prior. But but what a lift uh, for him! Yeah, I mean, they they came out and jumped immediately, and I think you. 
I mean, Arizona had clinched their wild card spot Saturday. Um, they really had. Uh, they didn't really have anything to play for Sunday. I think they were still their actual seed was still undecided, but they knew they were going to be a wild card team. The division wasn't wasn't in play, so they celebrated pretty hard Saturday night. I mean, they 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 went a little wild in the clubhouse, and then their entire team came back out on the field Saturday night and ran out to the pool and spent a bunch of time in the pool. They had a a, a regular or a, a lineup out Sunday that did not have uh, several of their regulars in it, and they just went with a bullpen game, knowing that they were going to have to save some of their pitching for the wild card series. So I mean, the Astros wasted no time. Um, Jose Altuve swung at the first pitch of the game, single the left. Alex Bregman swung at the very next pitch of the game, hit over the uh, the left field wall. Two pitches in, the Astros have a two zero lead, and I mean they they never look back. Yeah, and you. You always have to be careful. I mean, um, in terms of be careful what you wish for as to who you play or whatever. But I'm thinking, you know, Arizona, when you look at the National League's pairings, it's like, well, you know, if we uh, if the Marlins jump us, uh, we'll get to play the Brewers instead of the Phillies. And so um, I, I, you're never suggesting anyone's really losing on purpose. And again, they could be, they could be Milwaukee. Milwaukee's got some very stout pitching of their lineups. Not a lot to write home about. But uh, I, that thought... Couldn't help but escape my mind. And I'm thinking, did anyone tell Texas that they are going to have to play Tuesday if they don't have to win because they got no offense generated on Sunday? But but what a series. I want to talk about a few people who are in integral parts of this series and who, on a team, the Astros, we know how deep they are, but some of their heroes might have been not the ones you just suspected. I will start with the man who made, who didn't even know he was starting Friday's game until lunchtime on Friday, and that's Jose Arquiti. Talk about those circumstances and then the performance he had. Yeah, this was maybe the biggest moment of the weekend. I mean, they uh, they went into Friday morning even. Um, they had planned for JP France to start that series opener uh, at Arizona, and that was the plan um, when everybody went to sleep Thursday night, and then Friday morning they wake up and they have to adjust. Um, JP France had a bit of a family emergency uh, he said he spent most of the day um, in the ER with his wife in the Phoenix area. Uh, everything was okay there, but uh, but he was not going to be available to pitch. So around 11 o'clock in the morning, Jose Urquidy said he got a text from pitching coach Josh Miller. who said, hey, you're going to start tonight. Uh, Urquidy called Miller back just to make sure he got it right. And Miller was like, yeah, you're going to start tonight. Uh, so he had seven hours between getting that text and, and throwing the first pitch to get himself ready. Not, you know, not that he hadn't been uh preparing to be in the bullpen but he, he had thrown his you know normal bullpen session on wednesday and he had last pitched on sat um sunday so he he was sort of on regular rest but but the astros didn't know how deep he was going to be able to get them in the game because um you know since coming off the uh the injured list from the three-month absence for the shoulder injury he made a few starts at the beginning but didn't work very deep in those games and then he's been pitching out of the bullpen as sort of a long relief guy um, I think only one of his last six outings or something spanned more than four innings or even spanned four innings. And the most pitches he'd thrown in that span was, was 70 in a, in a game. So, so they went in hoping for three or four innings out of him. I mean, Dusty Baker made that clear after the game. That it was like, Hey, we were hoping that he could get us three or four. And then we were going to turn it over to the bullpen. And instead, Urquidy comes out and gives him six scoreless. Um, and that allows Dusty Baker to, to deploy his, uh, you know, his bullpen in, in a normal way, a normal way rather than ask for, uh, for a bunch of backup there. I mean, that was really a huge outing from, I mean, from a guy in Urquidy who's, 
had a rough year. I mean, he, he didn't uh, pitch particularly well in the first month before going on the IL. And then he came back from the IL and really has, um, had kind of been supplanted in the rotation. I mean, they had, they had Hunter Brown, uh, and then France who came up, you know, in early May after the injuries to the rotation and really solidified his spot. And when Arkiti came back, they, uh, they tinkered with that idea of, uh, the six man, but, but really didn't use it very much. So Arkiti had kind of been relegated to this long release, long relief role, but, um, for him to, to come in and give them that, um, that outing was just huge. And I mean, interestingly enough, for the last game here on Sunday, uh, both JP France and Hunter Brown went down to the bullpen, um, with the rest of the Astros relievers. Now France didn't pitch. Brown actually came in and got the last three outs of the game for Houston. France didn't pitch. So I, I, it's, you know, if the Astros had ended up as a wild card team, I think there would have been a decent chance. I think that, you know, they, they, they would have had this decision to make, but there was, there would have been a decent chance that Jose Arquiti being on regular rest could have been an option to start game two. Um, if Framber Valdez was, you know, lined up for game one, Arquiti might have been an option just given that performance to, to start game two. I guess Brantz would have been an option as well just because he hadn't pitched for a while. But you know, they were, there would have been just a decision to make there. Now it's one that the Astros won't have to make because they they have this five days in between now and the ALDS where they can set their pitching and line up whoever they want really for games one and two and and going forward. But that would have that would have made for a very interesting wrinkle. Um as it stands, you know, that was just that that start was was huge for them and really set a tone for their starting pitching in the series. It almost said, uh, looking at a little bit, um, it does raise the question of the division series. Um, and I was actually going to bring this up, but Christian Javier, I think, has pitched himself back into that number three role. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we we're wondering who is the third starter on this team right now because of his struggles and the success that J.P. France had had. Now I think he's a solid number three and and. I guess it's going to be determined who starts game one on Saturday against whoever they play, the Twins, the Blue Jays, Verlander or Valdez, but they're going to be the top two. Then you figure Javier three, but it does make me wonder, to your point, is Jose Urquidy now number four, knowing how Dusty likes veterans and because France has thrown more innings than he ever ever has in his career, it makes me wonder if that door is suddenly open in the division series for Urquidy to make a start. And it might depend on how much how those first couple games go, it might be a, hey, we're going to use everybody we can to win those first couple games, or, if, or game three even, um, but it's an interesting point. Another guy who comes through with a big play, uh, this was in um, uh, Saturday night, uh, close ball games, obviously, Friday, Saturday, 2-1 on Friday, one nothing on Saturday. Martin Maldonado hadn't, I did not realize that he had not thrown a runner out attempting to steal in like two months, but what a big spot for him to pick against a team that runs a lot yeah uh, that was actually um probably i mean one of the stronger defensive games that you've seen from him i think in a while um because even before he drew the runner out in the ninth inning in the eighth inning though i i believe it was the leadoff man got on in the eighth inning as well uh for um for arizona next hitter tried to bunt a uh, sacrifice bunt, and maldonado kind of sprang out from behind the plate jumped on and immediately threw to second um and you know that's a that's an instinctual play where we asked him afterward. I mean, are you selling out to go to second, or did you uh, did you have to kind of read the play as you were making it? And he said, you know, he was aware of. Uh, I think I believe it was Christian Walker who was on first base, and he decided, you know, that was worth a play worth taking a chance. To just given how close he was initially to the ball, 
um, he acknowledged that it was a pretty close play. Um, so like he, it was not, it was not something where it was cut and dry that, Hey, you go to second here, but, um, but he made that instinctual play to cut down the lead runner that prevented, you know, a man in scoring position where I think would have been one out. So, and then in the ninth, you know, they get the leadoff man on, um, and the, uh, the Diamondbacks are a team that, that likes to use their speed. I think they went into this series, uh, I think it was second in the majors in stolen bases. Um, and so, you know, you expect in that situation down a run that, uh, that their, their guy might give a shot, which he did. Uh, Maldonado credited Brian Abreu with uh, making sure that he, you know, did what he could to hold the runner given the time constraints on pitchers now and then was quick to the plate. And that's a theme that we've heard, I mean, throughout the entire season that, that a lot of the stolen base issues that the Astros have had have been more correlated to their their pitchers' times to the plate than necessarily the catchers throwing or or anything else. And and Maldonado said Abreu did a good job of being quick to the plate, giving him a chance to make the throw. He made a good throw. And yeah, it was the first runner he'd thrown out since, um, was it July 30th? Something like that. And I think there had been... I went through and counted that I'm, I want to say the, the number was 33 successful stolen base attempts uh, against him in, in between. So yeah, he, he kind of smiled and was like, yeah, finally threw a guy out. Um, but yeah, the, both of those plays uh, were, were big. And, and that, I mean, that was, that, those are the kind of plays that's the kind of sharp, crisp, fundamental baseball that the, the Astros have not played for a lot of September. I mean, there were games that they played against the Royals and the A's where they just look sloppy out there. Um, even that, that game, against, game against the Mariners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That second game in Seattle, um, they were just throwing the ball all over the field. But, but you know, they got to this final series and they really tightened it up and and they played well enough. And they, I mean, they, they played uh, probably the type of baseball that you would expect to see from from a team that's been as successful as they have in, in a situation like that. So another hero from the weekend. I mentioned the scores on Friday, two to one and one to nothing. And one man drove in all three runs for the Astros in those two games, and that's Jose Abreu. If you look at some of the numbers, um, it's interesting. We've heard the, well, if you look at the back of the baseball card, talk about Jose Abreu. Some might counter, well, if I look at the current OPS leaders and who's at the bottom of them in the American League right now, you could count it with, but he's, he's, he's had, I believe, a pretty decent month. But again, another guy who came through in big time fashion, he, he drives in the two runs on Friday, uh, gets the RBI on Saturday. How big is that for this team? Again, this team that has a deep lineup as it is, but has not gotten the production out of first base that they expected. Now they're looking at, it just makes them all the more imposing, I think, going into the division series. He did have a good September. Um, and I mean, you zooming out and looking at it from a whole full season point of view, the good September was not enough to erase, you know, or to balance out the struggles until September, because like you said, the OPS is still, I think bottom 10 among qualified major league hitters. Um, you know, he had his struggles and he acknowledged his struggles. Um, and even when, you know, he went on the, the aisle and, uh, in August, August uh, for the, for the lower back inflammation. I mean, he said, you know, this is not an excuse. I mean, this is not the reason that I've been the hitter that I've been for the last few months. So he's been, you know, very, uh, he's taken a lot of accountability for the fact that he hasn't hit up to the standard that he did for nine seasons in Chicago, but his September was good. I think uh, his, you know, he had the most extra base hits 
uh, in September of any month that he had this season. He led the American League in RBIs for the month. He drove in 26 runs. Um, part of that is just because he does come up a lot, given the, the, the place that he's hitting in the order. And Dusty Baker has not wavered, for the most part, from moving him out of that fifth, sixth spot. I mean, he spent a lot of September hitting in the fifth spot. And that's a spot where you're, he's going to get a lot of RBI opportunities just because of the guys who are hitting on ba- uh, hitting in front of him and getting on base in front of him. Uh, but he did... You know, managed to capitalize on on a number of those opportunities, um, and I I want I believe you know seven was it seven or seven or eight of those RBIs came in one game in Texas where he had the huge game. Oh right, I think he had seven. Yeah, so that sort of padded that total a little bit. But I mean, this series he had two huge hits for them: uh, the double off the wall in center field that looked like it might be a home run uh, in the first game, and maybe missed it by inches, um, and then. Uh, Another, you know, the, the the hit that scored the only game, uh, the, the only run in the second game uh, was another deep drive to center field. Um, and those are encouraging swings. I mean, going into the, the playoffs, knowing that he's going to be the guy out there at first base. I mean, there have been questions for a lot of the second half and maybe even stretching into the first half about how long they could ride this out, given his offensive struggles and... Uh, a big reason that I think they've done it is, you know, Dusty Baker puts a lot of faith in veterans and in veterans track records. And, and also I think they do value a Brady's defense. I mean, metrically his, his defense has not probably been, you know, as good or as, as he was always viewed as sort of a moderate, um, moderate first baseman defensively and not you know outstanding, but, uh, but they, they value what he does defensively over there. And there was, a really key, I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about in that first game, maybe the biggest play of the biggest individual play of the series uh, was in the eighth inning of that first game, the ground runners on second and third, the ground ball up the middle, Jeremy Pena makes the, the diving stop up the middle, uh, which in itself was, it was a huge play just to stop that ball from going into the outfield. But even if he just knocks it down and one run scores, I mean, they still have a lead. But he gets up and manages to, uh, to spin around and make the throw to first base. Uh, but the throw was a one-hop throw. And it wasn't the easiest hop either. It kind of caught Abreu in between. Pena said he wasn't trying to one-hop the throw. That's just kind of how it came out, given where, you know, the difficulty of the play. And Abreu managed to handle that throw and finish the playoff where the Astros protected their two-run lead, which ended up being huge because of the run that scored in the ninth. Um, so... Yeah, I, on both sides, you know, Bray really made an impact. And again, I mean, he's like we said, he, he has struggled a good amount offensively this season. But um, but the idea that he could be a, a contributor for them going into the postseason is is a big. Yeah, and he wound up, I think, with about 15 homers. I can remember, you know, he had the home run drought at the start of the year. Uh, folks may remember when he finally hit that first home run in Oakland and like slid into the dugout. He was just so happy to hit one. That power wound up decent, and he winds up with 90 RBIs. Um, speaking of RBIs, one thing to, to, to touch on, t- Kyle Tucker leads the league with 112 uh, this season. And um, we thought it was 113 at one point, but that turned out 112. And kind of inconsequential that the Astros win the game anyway. He scores the run on the play anyway. But I wanted to mention the the Tucker 30-30 deal. Jeff Bagwell's the only Astro who's ever had a 30 home run, 30 stolen base season. Tucker has 30 steals. As we're recording this, he has 29 home runs, but he's hoping for a 30th. Talk about that situation that came up on Sunday. Yeah, that was odd. Um, in the fifth inning, 
you know, Tucker hits a line drive that goes over the head of the right fielder. Um, so right fielder chases the ball down and Tucker has an easy triple just because of, you know, where the ball lands and the, the time it takes for, I think it was Jake McCarthy in right field to, to get the ball in back into the infield. So Tucker pulls into third base and he's slowing down definitely into third base. The throw came into uh, Arizona shortstop, Jordan Lawler, and Lawler started to run the ball into the infield and Tucker broke for the plate. And the throw that Lawler made was really kind of a floating throw. He didn't kind of load up and and make a strong throw to the plate. The throw didn't even make it to the plate. It was cut off uh, near the mound. And Tucker scores easily. I, th- I think he scored standing up. And um, you know everybody's wondering, is this is that an inside the park home run? And that and Tucker afterwards said, like that was my idea. It was like, I knew I was going to get to third, and I knew I was one home run shy of thirty, and I was probably only going to get one, maybe two more chances at it. So I just decided I'm going to go for it. I mean, he, he basically said, like I was trying to get an inside the park home run. The initial ruling on it was. I mean, they changed the ruling four different times during the game over the course of like four innings. It was extremely confusing. They first called it a triple and an error, which didn't make a lot of sense because the error was called on the right fielder. Uh, and McCarthy did. I mean, if if the error was on the play and the ball just kind of, I, I don't even know if it touched his glove, but it went over his head, then it shouldn't, there wouldn't have been a triple in the first place. And uh, there was nothing wrong with his throw into Lawler. So... Uh, an error on the right fielder would have made no sense. They they quickly changed that to a triple and a fielder's choice. That was also questionable because we were wondering where the choice was for the fielder, unless the choice was just to not make a good throw or to not throw the ball home. Um, that was really the only choice that was made. And then uh, I think it was in the seventh inning, they, they announced we, after consultation, uh, we decided to rule this a home run. So briefly... Kyle Tucker became the second Astro to record a 30-30 season. Um, the Astros actually tweeted out a, gra- a graphic um, saying, congratulations on the 30-30 season. That lasted about an inning. And then the official score came back on the PA and said, actually, we are changing the ruling again back to a triple and a fielder's choice. So that was where it stood at the end of the game. Tucker himself was extremely confused afterward because we were talking to him in the clubhouse and he said he thought it was still a home run. Like the last he had seen was that it had been ruled a home run. I don't think he'd seen that that final overturn. Um, but so he was asked, like, are, are you going to appeal that? And he was like, yeah, well, if it's triple, yeah, I'm going to appeal it. So, you know, I, a player or a team, and I would assume in this case, both, <laughs> both Tucker and the Astros would want to get in there and just, you know, ask for this to be re- reviewed. Um, and if it does get reviewed and get overturned, then I guess retroactively he will have achieved a 30-30 season. But for now, he stands at 29-30. Um, I think, as you said, he, he probably is going to have a case uh, to, to make that 30-30. But it's, yeah, it's something that um, only Bagwell has done uh, for the Astros. He's done it twice, or he did it twice. Um, I think there were four other major league players uh, this season who, who got to 30-30 and Part of that was probably uh, the the increase in, in stolen base numbers across the league uh, helped out with that. Um, there are also obviously, I mean, the the, the group that did it. I, I want to say, uh, want to say it was Julio Rodriguez, uh, Lindor, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, were the other four who got there first, and and they all um, obviously the extremely well rounded players. But you know, Tucker had the thirty home runs each of the last two years. His high, previous high for steals was. 
25. So, I mean, this would, this is something that in the past he has actually said would, would be meaningful to him. And I think you could tell afterward when we were talking to him after the game today, uh, Sunday, and you know, he was told that it was changed late. And as far as we knew, it was not a home run. It seemed like he was, you know, I, I, I don't know if bothered is the right word, but he was a little bit crestfallen. Like he was, he, he wanted this. You can tell he wanted it. And he admitted, you know, going forward in that situation, knowing that it would be number 30. So, uh, so I think this does mean something to him. And I think that if it gets overturned, it'll be a, a, a real sort of feather feather in his cap for a good season. Yeah, as I looked at the play, I thought I just don't know what the fielder's choice is. There's no other runner on base. You're not you're not not making that throw to keep someone else in another base. So I think he's got a chance to get in. I appreciate the guy's candor and I think we should be fair to the situation in that game. They were way ahead. Why not do it? I mean, one, I don't think he'd have done it if he had thirty home runs already. I also don't think he would have done it if the game was one nothing or scoreless or something like that. But it just shows you players are a little bit aware aware of their numbers at times, and it's like, hey, why not? I'm only going to get maybe one or two more at bats this season. So uh, uh, that was interesting. Let's take just a brief look ahead, and we'll uh, we'll explore the uh, division series once we know uh, more in depth who they're playing. But do you think the Astros have a preference on playing the Twins, who uh, they went two and four against this year, um, one and two both at Minneapolis and in Houston, including two ten inning losses, one at each place, and the Jays against whom they were three and four. Uh, any team, or even if we're looking at it, is is one team more attractive than the other? I don't know. I mean, objectively, I think you look at uh, you know the the records of the two teams and the fact that the the Twins won uh, what was a pretty you know otherwise weak AL Central. Um, and some of the, I mean, the the Blue Jays, you could see that team being a real dangerous opponent i think in a, in a playoff series given the starting pitching that they have given some of the hitters that they have i mean if, if some of their key hitters get hot at the right time that could be a really scary team in a postseason series um which is not to downplay anything about the the twins either i mean it, I, their their rotation has you know sunny gray at the top and he's had a really strong season they they obviously have some good arms in the bullpen um so i i don't know i think it'll be um It'll be interesting to see how that series shakes out. I, I would think that even though you know the Blue Jays are the lower seed, you know they might be they might be viewed objectively as kind of the the stronger stronger team. But you never know how these uh, how these series are going to play out, especially a three game series where you know one outcome of one game can really um, swing a lot. So so yeah, that'll be inside. Just you know from from the Astros' point of view, um, I just think they have to be pretty thrilled about the fact that they don't have to go play a series starting on Tuesday, go on the road and play that series. And instead they get this, this, um, this break, this kind of breather where they can rest a bullpen. That's been really heavily worked. Their leverage guys were kind of flagging down the stretch. I think a little bit, they can set their rotation the way that they want. They can rest some of the regulars who in previous years, they did not have to play their regulars every day down the stretch in, in meaningful games. I mean, they, they wrapped up division titles early. They could get guys rest if they needed to. Um, and that wasn't the case this year. They had to play down the stretch to win the division in game 162. So now they get a little bit of a breather for that. And I think they're, they're viewing that as, you know, they can come back to the ALDS and be in, in pretty good shape. Yeah, and when you get right down to it, it doesn't matter whether they want 106 games or 104, 103, or 90. They're getting that first round by, and 
that's really what they wanted to accomplish, and, and they very much did that. Twins and Jays uh, will start on Tuesday. Again, these uh, wild card rounds, best two out of three. All the games will be in Minneapolis by virtue of their division title. Um, other series, the Rangers will be playing the Rays, but uh, the Astros get the winner of Minnesota and Toronto. And once that series is over, we'll join you for another episode of Dugout Download. Again, we thank Matt Kawahara for his uh, time from Phoenix this evening. You can read him in the pages of the Houston Chronicle and certainly at HoustonChronicle.com. And we also thank Pirate Audio for their assistance, as always, on producing the podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, and we'll talk to you again later this week.